1: My, my juices flow all the time. Absolutely, absolutely. You know as much as I know. Right now, we've been able to stuff the stuff. The curse is broken. <laughs> NC State fans, finally. <laughs> finally. Hey, tell me Thanksgiving. I mean, that's a triple play. The Wolfpack ain't for soft. It ain't for soft people. Well, now we know what the best version of NC State basketball looks like. Welcome back to Pack Therapy. Joe Chilio joined by Wolfpack great Scott Wood. NC State takes care of Duke Wednesday night over at PNC Arena. 84-60. to Scott, you said this could happen. You felt confident that NC State could beat Duke. What was your big impression from last night other than that was a game NC State had to have in my opinion and they delivered? I would agree. I think going into it, it's
2: it's the one game I said you got they gotta win this one for for any shot of you know playing deep into to March yeah um, but the one thing with them is man when they are making shots the way they do they're really fun to watch and it almost goes back to the the Miami game they actually shot well I think they just laid an egg at the end of the game but then you have uh, the Clemson game they shot. from three, 30% from the field, and they did the same thing against Pittsburgh. You know, when they were making shots, which, I I mean, you could say that about any team, uh, they're really fun to watch because defensively they're moving a little bit more, um, and I think they just kind of caught the perfect storm where
1: Duke just did not play well, and and NC State played about as good as they could play a Q1 win for state. Now they're one and two in those games. We've talked before here on pack therapy about the importance of the quadrant one games. Those are the ones that the NCAA tournament selection committee values the most. And I, I joked with Kevin actually after the game last night, I said, well, now you're one in one in must win games this year. And he kind of uh, said something not nice to me, but I said, well, now you're one in one. In my opinion, Kansas was a must win game. All right, fine. Didn't get that one. You get this one against Duke. The NC State actually moved up to thirty-seven in the net rankings yesterday from that win, from sixty-four to thirty-seven with one game. Well, that's what happens when you absolutely annihilate a, yeah. a ranked opponent. The margin of victory there is important, and and Duke still is, I believe, the highest-rated team in the net as we sit here and speak. Yeah, well, they're twenty-four. Virginia is now nineteen, but yeah, I mean, where's Miami? Miami's thirty-nine. So that won't be a Q1 game next Saturday, but it will be an important game. So my question for you from last night is, is that sustainable? You talked about the shooting. Terquavion Smith at 24 points. Jarkel Joyner with 21 points. I thought Jarkel was just, I thought he was fantastic. The Nine assists in particular. Talked about the defensive energy. Do you think what they did last night was sustainable or was that a one-off?
2: I think it's probably a good mixture of both. I don't think they're always going to shoot this well. I don't think any team can ever have that, you know, consistency of shooting at that high of a clip. But I do think they can play this well night in, night out. And I'm a huge fan of Jarkel Joyner. I mean, his energy on the defensive end and just watching him defend is unbelievable. He can literally take the toughest guard matchup on the floor and almost take them out of the game the same thing with Casey. I love Casey's energy on the defensive end. I think they have two elite perimeter defenders. Now, does it always show in NC State? I, I don't think so. Uh, but they have two elite guys that you know you're always going to get that on, on the defensive end of the floor. And then the next step is because they play at such a high pace, they're always out in transition. When they're making shots, it makes it a lot easier on them. But if they're missing those shots, I, I said it you know, we, we kind of jumped up to that lead and I'm like, all right, we're playing really quick and we're getting a lot of and ones on the break and a couple transition threes. If they're not making those shots, that's, that, that's the other team coming back in transition and makes things a little bit easier on them to get out and get some easy ones as well. So again, I mean, it's just, I, I think it's one of those things that you're going to see a lot of nights that are like this because of the way they play, but it really is, kind of falls on if they're making those shots and making good decisions in transition and not letting the other team leak
1: back out. NC State, for the game, shot 47%. So it's not like they had like a crazy 70% game or went completely bonkers from three. They ended up 10 of 26 from three. Obviously, Smith and Joyner, the three-point shots that they made, they combined for nine. I thought it was important for them to get going from three yesterday. When you look at it, though, DJ Burns adding the points that he did. And early, I I thought the tone for this game was set in the first half. Yeah. You know, uh, thanks, Joe. Captain Obvious, it was 15 to nothing. But I felt like NC State pushed Duke around. I I thought they were more physical than Duke. And I thought they just basically told them, we're more aggressive than you are tonight. We are more desperate than you are tonight. And we're just more interested in winning this basketball game and being here than you are. Yeah, and I think that's a, a mixture of,
2: it's going to say weird for me to even say it, but NC State is a older team. Jarkel is in his, what, fifth year? Yeah. Um, you know, DJ's junior. Is he a ju- redshirt junior junior? So they've got guys, Casey Morcel. they've got guys that have been around the block. And then you get Duke, who is a predominantly younger team, one or two upperclassmen, Jeremy Roach, um, junior, but they came out and they're only four games into their ACC schedule mm-hmm. as well. So I just feel like they, they they played like freshmen. They played like their age. Now, I don't think they're going to do that every night because I think that, you know, Shire's going to get into them a little bit and they're going to start to realize, like, the ACC is no joke. You know, they're going to have to come and play every night. They can't take a night off. And it looks like they played like freshmen. But, again, I think that's to the point of, you know, Coach Keats wanted
1: to bring some older guys in here. He did that. And I think it showed. Nice cat and mouse last night. I thought particularly in the first half between Kevin Keats and and John Shire. Burns didn't start. Ryan Young didn't start. And you you knew those were two guys ticketed to match up with each other. It was Lively, uh, Derek Lively, who's you know top three recruit in the country, ticketed as the one of these next Duke NBA guys. Um, I think he's just a I think he's just a five. I'm not I'm not sure. I'm not seeing much special in him other than you could see that the athleticism is there and you can't teach seven foot. Um, So he starts the game. E.B. DeWanna, you know, much criticized for all of last year. One of the things that I talked about with E.B. last year was if E.B. could just play 10 minutes or 12 minutes, if if it was just doses of E.B. instead of 30 minutes, you'd be like, oh, well, this guy's effective. This guy's helpful. And I certainly thought him and Greg Gantt because of the injuries last night. Jack Clark not playing because of a groin injury that he had suffered at the end of the Clemson loss. And then of course Dusan Mohorsich, who looked like you were down on the floor. I was up in the the fifth floor, the hockey press box. In previous games, I've seen Mahorsich with a, a knee brace. Was he wearing a knee brace last night? I I could not tell
2: because okay. he was he was in the second row behind, but I could tell you he was standing up a lot more, I, I more normal than
1: he normally was. So so maybe he's getting closer. Um and after the Louisville game I saw Levi Watkins in the hallway. I said, and I, I just I just kind of checked in with him. And Mahorsic walked by, and he was like, "We're gonna get this guy back sooner than later." And I was like, "Oh, okay. That, that would be that would definitely be helpful." Well, and, and that's kind of how I've envisioned it the
2: whole time. I think I think E value can come in in ten minute spurts. Yeah. Now if, you know the first four or five minutes he doesn't play worth a darn. I mean, you can yank him. Sure. I mean, you got two other guys there, but I think they have three legitimate bigs that kind of bring a little bit something different to the table. And if we can utilize those the right way, I think they can all give you really good minutes. In the post
1: game last night, Kevin called D.J. Burns the best back to the basket scorer in college basketball.
2: I mean, that's I, mean, it, I know that's the specific a bold,
1: point that he's making. It's a bold strategy,
2: Cotton. I will say that. But um, well, I guess his <laughs> point. Lo- is, his point is nobody
1: really scores with their back to the basket anymore.
2: Well, I would agree with that. Yeah. Now, the one thing I really like is, and, and again, this is just. How NC State's offense is set up. NC State's not a very good half-court offense team, right? So when they got not in half-court, they got into some trouble. But the fact that you can throw the ball in there and he can draw fouls, get to the free throw line, which you know he's got to yeah. get a little better at shooting free throws, and then the way he finishes down there and gives some matchup problems, I think that kind of changes the dynamic a little bit. And I'd, in the half-court, I'd I'd go through him a little bit more. You know, instead of just running the high pick-and-roll and, and wait for Terquavion to, to make something happen or Jarkel to make something happen, I'd give it to him because even at the, the end of the game, you saw how well he passes. They started to double-team a little bit. He made some great passes out of there. For granted, I think one of them ended up in a pull-up and the other two were misses, but he makes really good decisions in there, and that's something that you're going to need in the half court, especially in the crunch time when the game is tight and you got to slow it down to give the ball to him inside.
1: Yeah, I thought Shire made a nice move. It was 24 16 after the really sluggish start, and he went zone. And it was a 3 2 Syracuse Jim Bayheim type of zone. And Kevin made a nice move, put Burns in the middle of the zone. Yeah. So I, I thought, again, I thought there was a nice back and forth between those two coaches last night. I thought the way that Joyner particularly closed the half, not just the contested three in the corner at the buzzer, but it seemed like every time Duke in that first half, wanted to make it interesting, wanted to put some sort of game pressure on NC State. It was Joiner that had the answer, and it usually did start on the defensive end.
2: And I, and I just think that's, I, I think this team really, I mean, obviously you got Terquavion, but I think this team runs with Jarquel. I mean, yeah. even in the second half, we made a couple questionable decisions and transition that gives Duke an opportunity to come back. Jarquel would just go get the ball, slow things down. And go from there. And I think that's just leadership from him. That's understanding the game. That's him having the experience. Um, and he gets it. I mean, is he going to have a great game every game? No. He's human. But I really do think the team kind of goes with him right now.
1: Without Jack Clark, without Mahorsic, you know, I, I thought maybe we'd see a little bit more L.J. Thomas last night. But Greg Gant, you know, a kid who, a kid, mm-hmm. uh, ends up, starts his career at Providence, comes here last year. He's kind of hurt. Didn't really know how he was going to save some of his eligibility. Uh, so he ends up not playing at all. And, you know, he kind of feels like one of those guys who may never be healthy. Yeah. Uh, but he ends up playing last night, played 30 minutes last night. And again, yeah. and again he's not going to score a whole lot for you. I think he, he ended up with four points. But I thought there was good energy there. There was good defense there. And I thought those are the kind of things that, if everyone understands their role, Yeah. like, you know, you think about your best teams. You CJ
2: know, Williams, y-
1: you know Alex CJ Johnson. For for better for better or for worse, CJ was the bus driver. Yeah, and when he was going, and everybody knew, like we're going through CJ. Yeah, and Rich, yeah, Rich, we need you to rebound. We need you to set screens. yeah Scott, we need you to make shots. Yeah, like please make an open shot. Uh, Zo, we need you to create a little bit. We need you to be uh, aggressive. So I think that's one of the things that Kevin's been missing. Mm-hmm. There are these distinct parts and these distinct roles for the players. And he he talked about this last night, actually he said, while we do have older players and we do have better players, they still haven't played together. Yeah. You know? So yes, Jarkel is an older player. Yes. DJ's you know, was the player of the year in his conference last year, but they're still learning how to play together. And I, I think you're seeing some of that maturation and some of that, you know, that some of that learning process. And it's, it can't get any better than the last night, can it? I, I mean, performance-wise.
2: Even if it doesn't, I mean, I think if they can just get ninety percent of that, I mean, they're going to beat a ton mm-hmm. of teams in the nation. I mean, they can beat the best teams then. Uh, but again, I think it's it's very similar. To what you said, you got to have those role guys. They got to understand their role. And you know, you don't need Greg Grant to give you you no. know ten points a game. You don't need LJ to give you ten points a game. You've got people that can create and score the basketball. So now it comes down to you know you need them to make great plays, the right plays, not turn the ball over, you know, be able to guard and rebound. Um, and, that, and that's all you need. And I think you're starting to see a few of these guys are really starting to figure out where their role is. Um, now, obviously, when when you get Dusan back and, and you get Jack back in, I mean, roles kind of change sure. a little bit and minutes kind of change. So if they can get everybody to buy in, I think you're going to see a more consistent NC State going down the stretch. I think one of the
1: things that Dusan really embraced early was, yeah, I need to rebound. <laughs> I need to set screens. And if, I can if I can add a few points, that's great. And I think DJ, DJ ended up only playing 16 minutes last night. Had 18 points in 16 minutes. Like, <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah. That's what you want out of a guy. Like, again, just to know who you are. And I think that's really important. And it, it's really... It, it's coaching one on one, yeah. You know, and there's so many times though in basketball where you just, you know, look at Carolina last year, how long it took them to figure out, oh, Brady Manx our best player, or, or he's the one who has to drive the bus. Yeah. You know, and I, and looking at Duke yesterday, that was that was my takeaway uh, of that team. And I know people will, will say whatever about Shire or say whatever about the this roster. I mean, there's some parts there that are that are kind of interesting. Uh, Kyle Filipowski, Dariq Whitehead, you know, I mean, these guys, not all five-star recruits are created the same. Not all McDonald's, all Americans are created the same. Not everybody can be a Zion Williamson and an R.J. Barrett, you know, a Jason Tatum, yeah. you know, Dukes had a, had some kind of run. Um, but I'm looking at the Duke parts and I'm going, well, they're going to have to figure this out. Yeah. And that's, that's where the coaching comes in too. Like, the, what are your roles? Who's in charge? Who, who's, you know, that's where I feel like NC State can be a step ahead of some of these other ACC teams. Truquavion drives the bus. Jarkel's right there with him. It's guards one yeah. on one. And, and
2: I, I just think that's the nice part about being a little bit older. I think yeah. you get Traquavion, gets a year under his belt. You know, I, I don't want to say he was immature, but you know, he, you saw last year how many crazy shots he took. And, and this year, you know, he still will get one off now and again. And he is allowed to get yeah. one off now and again because he's that good of a player. But he creates now a little bit more. I think he trusts his teammates now a little bit more. And I think that is starting to show why he's averaging almost, what is it, five and a half assists or five assists a game uh, because he trusts the guys that are next to him. And that's going to go a long way. Now, for granted, I'm going to say it a hundred times, when you make shots, it's a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, but again, I think that just shows in the maturation of a Turquavion and some of these other
1: players. As Roy Williams loves to say. Everything looks better when the ball goes in the basket. It's easy. When we come back, we'll talk about two of our favorite topics, officiating and crowds. Next, right here on Pack Therapy. Welcome back to this episode of Pack Therapy. You know, Scott Wood, I missed you last week because I had Mike Glennon. We talked about NC State's bowl matchup with Maryland. And I fully expected this week to be a conversation about, well, you know, NC State's football team, they closed the season the right way. They beat Maryland. Uh, they're on their way into the, the off season, right? And I fully expected Clemson. You know, they always kind of have NC State's number in hoops. And then I expected them to lose last night to Duke. I did. Um, especially the way they had been playing and dragging. I just, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have the faith that you did. All mm-hmm. right. So, however, it's the football team that ends up losing to Maryland. It's the basketball team that ends up beating Duke. And so here we are now getting into two of my favorite topics after 25 years of covering such things. What did you make of the crowd last night at PNC arena? It wasn't your
2: typical NC state Duke crowd. Um, as I have been on social media, I've been very critical this year of the NC State fans showing up. You know, I'm getting a lot of oh, they stunk last year, so they don't want to come, which feels like they're taking it more out on Kevin, which Kevin could care less what people think of him, but right. it's, it's more about the players and that's been always been my thing is fans have more of an impact on your recruiting and, and all this other stuff that people don't really realize is you know, even if Kevin gets fired next year if I'm a head coach looking to go somewhere and I look in the stands and I said, Oh, they played Duke. Let me see what the, you know, look in the crowd and there's open seats. It's like, Oh gosh, this, this atmosphere isn't very good. Um, But, but it's not what I've expected. You know, I've yeah. had these conversations with Levi. It's been down, you know, understandably they were really bad last year. So, I, I mean, I get it, but it is, it's almost hard to go to games because the atmosphere hasn't been great now for granted, even at, Seventy-five percent capacity, or whatever it was last night, I feel like it was loud. The the fans were into it, but it's just not what I've expected out of
1: NC State basketball for a long time. All right, so seven o'clock game on a Wednesday. There's some traffic issues. Um, I t- it was the biggest crowd of the year: 15,188 mm-hmm. capacity for PNC for basketballs: nineteen seven, a little bit more than nineteen seven. So, it wasn't a bad crowd, number one, yeah. but it was not Duke, Carolina, which is what you would normally see, you know, ears splitting, loud as it can be, yeah. total fever pitch. Now, the students are out of session right now. It's, that's, a, that's a part of it. Yeah. I think any, I, we talked about this a lot with Mike Lennon during the football season. There's always three parts to a fan base there's ones can't stand the coach, there's this usually a larger middle where they love the school. And doesn't really matter what's going on. Yeah, but you know when good things happen, yeah, you get that middle grows, right? And then there's there's like another third where they're like, you know what? I love this guy. He's the best coach. He's he walks on water. He's awesome. Yeah, right. So that portion right now is Kevin doesn't have many in that camp right now. Correct. The the third that's like, oh, this guy stinks. They need to get rid of him. That that portion is growing after last season. What he needs to win back is more of that middle, mm-hmm. and games like last night will give him a chance to win back more of that middle. I will say, first of all, tickets are not cheap. Okay, that parking's not cheap. Parking's ridiculous. Parking's That's not my cheap. Biggest pet peeve. Tickets are not cheap. Seven o'clock game. A lot of people <clears throat> work. Get in there. Fine. So in all of in in, so I'm not blaming anyone for not going last night. It is more of a snapshot to me. Because, again, I was upstairs. I was on the fifth floor. So you see who's in the building. Now, there were people in the upper deck. I think it's the first time this year they've even had to open up the upper deck. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. Um, College basketball itself has changed a lot. Even since you played. I agree. You know, like, it's hard to keep track of who the heck's on which team. You know, without a roster last night, would you know who's on Duke? And I get their roster changes every year, but, you know... You can usually tell who Duke's star is before the game. Uh, And I'm not saying, I'm not blaming it on Duke. I'm just saying college basketball in general has changed. And again, I'll get back to the financial commitment, particularly after the holidays. Okay? Those are all reasons why things change. Now, next Saturday's game, they play Miami at home. Even five years ago, I would expect that to be a sellout. And yeah. it, may, it may depend on what happens against Virginia Tech. And I think you and I both have a very similar idea of what might happen against Virginia Tech on Saturday. You know my opinion of Mike Young. But I think that weekend on Miami game, Miami's leading the ACC, or or was before last yeah. night, I, I think that's a real chance to to see more people in the building. And if there's not, that's where the administration needs to step in and come up with more promotions and more ideas and ways to get people in the building because I get it. A lot of people would, you, <laughs> at some point we'll do the whole Reynolds thing, but it's like, I get it. A lot of people would love to, to turn back the clock and get in the DeLorean. But the truth of the matter is you you play in a building that holds 19,000 people. So the, I think I think what you're saying about fans and recruit, about players and recruits, that's what matters. Yeah. Not my opinion, not a silly, you know, Twitter shot that I put on, you know, about the crowd, whatever anyone wants to interpret it. It was more of just an idea of letting people know, okay, this is what's going on. Yeah. and And I think that's where the university also has to be
2: smart. They have to have an understanding. Like when I go in there and pay $20 for parking, that's... A little bit absurd
1: to get in the door yes so <laughs> so actually to get your car into the lot that's so, not even to get into the I, door so
2: i do agree with that there's a lot of changes that i think can be made to make this a little bit better and then i mean again i think the reynolds conversation is a whole different conversation and 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 i i may get yelled at for even saying this but nowadays these recruits want to play in big nba sized arenas mm-hmm. you know now if we're Rolling back the clock back to my day, you know, I understood a little bit of the history because I'm not overly, you know, too old to understand some of those Mm -hmm. things. But nowadays, these kids don't really fully understand the David Thompson, the meaning of Reynolds. Sure. But so recruits wanted that NBA-style arena. That's why you can't go back to Reynolds. Now, again, we can open up the the can of worms of if you win, it solves all the problems. You know, I've understood that all the years I've played professionally. If you win, they will come. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you're losing, they're not going to come. But I think at some point we have to say, you know, this team is exciting. This yeah. team is winning. We got to get a little bit more traction in the arena. Yeah, that's
1: what I'm saying in terms of uh, now. NC State will tell you they have either 12, between 12 and 13,000, the equivalent of 12 or 13,000 season ticket holders. That's commendable. But they need to figure out a way. I know Tom Dundon, first year is the owner of the Carolina Hurricanes. You know they hadn't been in the playoffs for ten years, so he offered a package. Hey, if you spend ninety dollars, I think it was, you can get into any game in February that you want. Yeah, NC State should do something like that. Um, yeah, you know, tickets last night were expensive. Yeah. So, and I get it. You you got you got to make your nut on Duke and Carolina and those home games. That's yeah. how you make your gate. I'm not trying to knock the whole entire process. I'm just saying they have to now turn their attention to the program and realize. You know, and part of this Scott is the pandemic ruined some of this. Yeah. There that's part of it. And it also ruined a little bit of the, of these schools mentality because all the money isn't from the TV. Yeah. Remember all the lights stayed on for a reason. Because the athletes went out there and played the games and because the TV checks passed. They look at the attendance now and in the, the season tickets that are already paid for yeah. as gravy. Yeah. That's what they look at it as. They don't look at it as like oh we have to have people in the building except when you get into the actual vital part of it, which is the recruiting and the, yeah. and the player experience. Yeah, and I and again,
2: I, uh, my father-in-law is a prime example of he'd rather watch it from home. Sure. And a lot of it happened because of COVID. I think a lot yeah. of people realize that, oh, I get a dang near front row seat mm-hmm. and I can watch it on TV. I don't have to fight the traffic. I don't got to pay that $20. So, again, I think COVID does have a big part yeah. of it. But, like, very similar to what you said, I think some changes are going to have to be made from a marketing strategy. You know, one of my funnest games I ever played in, D-League. Westchester Knicks. This is a crazy story. It was kids' night. So it was every, I felt like every school in New York took a field trip and we had a noon game and it was the loudest gym I've ever been in. And these kids were screaming. I don't know if they knew what team team to cheer for, but it was just so much fun. Just little things like that. Get some kids in there. You know, Maybe it's a free kids' night.
1: Some things like that I think would be a good idea. Give yourself a chance. All right, before we go. What did you think of the officiating last night? And I'm not this is not a conspiracy theory. It's more of you played in the ACC, you played against Mike Shavesky, you played against Duke. You played in in a game memorably at Cameron Indoor Stadium where the whistle was certainly in Mike's pocket. So, yeah. I'm curious what your what is what was your interpretation as a player when you went into a game playing Duke knowing, "Hey, we're not getting that call tonight." Number one. And then number two, what did you what did you think of last night now that Mike's gone and did it look like the same old Duke whistle or do you think it's it's maybe evening itself out? No, I do not think it was the same whistle, so I do feel bad for Sean. Okay.
2: A little bit that yeah. he had to fight that. Now, for granted, I think when NC State plays that well, I, I think the whistle does not play Yeah as key. Now if that game was tight, I'd be very interested to see how that whistle goes. You know, as I told you before we hopped on
1: Teddy tried to make a couple questionable ones. So Ted Valentine worked the game, and he was with uh, Keith Kimball, veteran, and Mike Roberts, both veteran. I mean, it's veteran crew. Yeah, I thought they let both teams play. I I'm not. I see Brian Kersey before these games. I give him the same spiel. The head of ACC officiating. He loves to yell at me when I get on this rant. But the truth of the matter is, when you have a Hall of Famer, whether it was Dean Smith, whether it was Roy Williams, whether it was Mike Shostevsky, your human nature, especially in those buildings is to acquiesce to the crowd and to the Hall of Famer.
2: Yeah. That's all no, I'm right. saying. A hundred percent. And I've always said it. I said, your best players get the calls. That's just, yeah. that's how it's going to work.
1: And in colleges, coaches. You, and the same thing with the coaches. Yeah.
2: I, that That's how it's always been, and that's how it's going to be. And and sometimes you just got to deal with it. But, you know, yesterday, again, I think part of it's probably the the, the blowout. But I thought it was well-officiated. I think there was even, you know, I think NC State got a couple favorable calls. Yeah. but but. I thought there were some questionable
1: ones on the Duke side as well. I thought State was really aggressive and I thought they let them play. And I, I just thought to myself, it's just a different experience when, when Duke comes over here. And I, I said this and go back to the 12, go back to the twenty twelve game. Mark's first year, when you go over there, you're up twenty yeah. in the sweat box, and then all of a sudden CJ Williams and Rich and everyone else has five fouls and like you're finishing the game by yourself. And it was like I had to play the four. I've never played the four in my life. Yeah. So, again, I'm not accusing anyone of being anything other than human. Yeah. And that's what drives cursey bonkers when I bring this up. But. Well,
2: and, 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 and every official is lying to you when a lot of these guys understand they reward the players that are playing really hard. If you're diving yeah. on the four and it's going at someone's legs, typically they're going with that slide because they're like, this kid is playing really hard. You know, a couple touchy ones, you know, that, if you're reaching or doing this, they're going to get you. But the the guys that play really hard, they sometimes let those slide because they appreciate that a little bit more. Now, everybody's going to say they're unbiased and they don't take that into consideration, but they're all lying to you. If you play hard, you know you treat the official with respect because, again, if you, you start showing up the official, they're going to get you. They're human. Yep. They're going to get you. I think it shows, and I think NC State was just the more physical team. They played harder, and they got rewarded because of it. Well,
1: that'll do it for us this week on Pack Therapy. You can always catch us on Spotify, Google. If you missed any of our episodes, catch it on WRLsportsfan.com And check out our YouTube page. Yes, 99.9 The Fan is on YouTube. Catch all of our Pack Therapy episodes there. For Scott Wood, I'm Joe Giglio. We'll see you guys next week right here on Pack Therapy. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW group void work prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.